Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What's going on, everyone? It's Taylor Cowles here for CLNS Media, and this is the third and final installment of the Behind Enemy Lines series, where I talk to some of the best and brightest reporters around the AFC East to get a better idea of the landscape of what is a very much revamped division. Joining me today is the host of Locked On Dolphins, one of my favorite guys on the Locked On Network, which does a fantastic job for all the teams, specifically Kyle with the Dolphins. Kyle Krabs, thank you so much for being on, brother. How you doing? Taylor, I'm doing great, man. And it's it's good to catch up. You and I have known each other for a little while, but it's been a minute since we talked a little ball. So I'm excited for today and, and go over these Miami Dolphins. Absolutely, brother. So free agency slash trades, it was pretty eventful for the Dolphins in the early part of this offseason. So how would you not necessarily grade, but what's your opinion on how they attacked uh, the veteran portion of the offseason and the holes that they filled? Yeah, I, I think you saw... Quite a high level of self-awareness to one of the areas that I thought was really problematic for the team last year on the defensive side of the ball, that being the cornerback depth. You saw them trade a third and a tight end. Hunter Long, who's your third tight end for Jalen Ramsey and, and restructured his contract to make sure that uh, he's he's going to be here for an extended period of time. He's got guaranteed money across the next three years, but low cap hit in year one with his first new year with the team. And and you see the team bring back a number of other players like Nick Needham, who was uh, a player who was a really good UDFA find for the Dolphins, but uh, went out last year with an Achilles injury against Minnesota. I think it was week six, and they ended up bringing him back on a one-year deal. Uh, they brought back Justin Bethel as a special teams guy. That's how bad it got for the Dolphins last year. Justin Bethel's your nickel corner out there against Pittsburgh in prime time because they had four active corners to play the game. And that was in spite of adding a lot of players into that mix. Now, uh, I think on the offensive side of the ball, what you saw the Dolphins do was they embraced who the pillars were of their identity offensively, and they really went after the depth. And they went after skill-specific players in the skill group who I think between Braxton Berrios as a slot receiver with a pretty proven track record, also somebody who's a return guy, and the Dolphins were one of the worst special teams uh, units in football last year from a field position standpoint. I'm pretty sure it got to the point where they just said, go back, catch the punt, and fair catch it. I don't care what the distance is. I don't care what the coverage looks like. We're just going to start the offense wherever they kick the ball uh, because they, there was very little appetite to try to return kicks last year. And then you have Robbie Chosen at wide receiver as another vertical space guy that gives you a vertical stretch whilst allowing you to potentially unlock what you have with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle as underneath players as compared to using one of them to create horizontal space and the other to create vertical space. So I really think they went out and they they – targeted the weakness on defense and then on offense they wanted to become a deeper unit for those teams like what the chargers did to him last year who said we're going to take away your two best options and somebody else has to beat us mm-hmm. and the dolphins didn't have anybody between mike kasecki and trent Sherfield as the top t- receiving players last year aside of those two players who they felt like could win a one-on-one matchup in any component of the game 
And you mentioned that Chargers game. I wonder your perspective, because my takeaway from that was more that the Chargers were trying to basically get Tua to consistently throw outside because you saw that specific type of quarters look where it's basically just the weak side safety is coming down on that crossing route every time. And obviously that's the bread and butter for the Dolphins, because when you get that kind of speed, really hard to match up with those guys. So do you think that Chosen maybe is going to be the guy who pushes them a little bit over the top in terms of, all right, you can't just focus on these two guys because we're a little more well-rounded? Or is there something Tua can maybe do on his end to take his game forward and give defenses more to think about? Yeah, I think throws further down the field outside the numbers was an area where I thought you saw some flashes, but it wasn't consistent. And in that Chargers game, we're throwing foul balls that land out of bounds, right? right. And, and it's when your guys are Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, your strike zone for those players isn't as large as all of a sudden now you have a six foot three receiver who's potentially doing that. If they're going to say, hey, we're going to cloud you up front, we're going to be real physical at the line of scrimmage, and we're going to congest the middle of the field. So go ahead and hit throws 10 plus yards down the field outside the numbers. Okay, well, if you have a speed guy who's five, six inches taller in Robbie Chosen, I think that's the biggest dynamic that he can potentially bring as an outside receiver with some length to separate. And you're not giving any concessions on speed to be able to do that. But but Tua himself, I think having a second year in the offense, this is the first time in like seven years he's had the same offensive system in consecutive seasons. So I think that'll be really big for him as far as the comfort in working through your progressions faster, being able to X off certain progressions just based on the pre-step shell and what you're expecting that you're going to get. And then taking that confirmation to work through progressions faster and get deeper into progressions faster. That's something for Tua when you consider what he did and didn't have to do at Alabama, what he didn't, didn't have to do with Chan Gailey his rookie season. And then they had this hodgepodge offensive staff with co-offensive coordinators and Charlie Fry was calling plays the first month in 2021. You're, I, I think you're finally going to get to see instead of treading water and getting better in certain areas of the game, I think you're actually going to see some steps forward in the areas that people associate with, Hey, we want to try to make Tua do this. And, and I think he has a chance to he's he's never going to change his stripes as the kind of player that he is. But if you can become a little bit more well-rounded, I think there's some context that explains why you haven't maybe seen some of the growth in throwing to certain areas of the field over the past couple of seasons. I'd be excited to see some growth from Tua because I think he get, some of the flack he gets is warranted with the arm strength. Sometimes he locks on to guys, but he doesn't get nearly enough credit for the processing, the consistency, how he gets through his reads most of the time. Do you think this is the year? Because it's so easy to talk about the passing game with Miami. It's almost mm-hmm. impossible not to. But do you think they may lean more on the run game, make life a little bit easier on everybody in that passing attack? Because teams were just saying, hey, we're going too high. Like if you want to run the ball on a sure, but we're really scared to Tyreek Hill, we're scared of Jalen Waddle. We don't want those guys beating us downfield. So is this maybe a season where we see McDaniel say, let me, especially with Tua's health, most importantly, all right, let's lean on the ground game. We got a stable of backs. We got some new guys on the offensive line. Maybe you get more consistency there. What do you think? A lot of people like to point to that four-game stretch after the Texans game, uh, which came right out of the bye in which they went to San Francisco, went to Los Angeles, went to Buffalo, and then played at home against the Packers. And the EPA drop-off for two in those games. And I think the common theme with all of them, especially San Francisco and the Chargers back-to-back in consecutive weeks, they played like box counts. They played to, played two high shells. Miami almost never got two high shells, but mm-hmm. you know, those two teams played super light box counts. And Miami was 
pretty content to not try to run the football. And, and I think it was really maddening. And then you get to the Buffalo game, the third game in that stretch. And lo and behold, they punched the bills in the mouth and they ran the ball really, really well. And then you got into the late game situations where it's third and three or third and two, and you come out and you throw the football and you leave it on the field. So Mike McDaniels talked a little bit about that throughout the course of this offseason as far as uh, the lessons learned from his first season as a, a play caller and the Dolphins head coach. And I think there is some awareness there that we have to be a little bit more balanced because if take the 49ers game, if your linebackers are going to play at nine to 11 yards of depth against a four man front, you have to be able to run the football. You have to find ways to create surge and push. And I think what is really promising in that regard, although it's not guaranteed, is you look at all the Shanahan offense stops and the big leaps in production that come in the rushing game in year two of the system because everybody's kind of had a chance to work through the reps, see the picture. And then I think Miami getting Austin Jackson back, who is not a good pass protector, but his strength is in the run game at right tackle, and then Isaiah Wynn to potentially push Lee Meikenberg at left guard, and worst-case scenario be your backup plan for Teron Armstead if Teron Armstead goes down and misses time. Mm -hmm. I think those two components give you a little bit more consistency up front. Dolphins started a playoff game with Lester Cotton starting at right tackle. That's how bad things got in that capacity. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, to answer your question, that was a long-winded way to say yes. I do think there is going to be a concerted effort to be a little bit more balanced, based on the lessons that they learned and then some of the context clues from other stops along the way. Take your first swig at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times, it's 10 times your first bet amount of bonus bets and up to $200. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you could spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to be, well, hitting the first home run. All in the app that's safe, secure, it's super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Boston, FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You mentioned that year two jump with that like outside zone scheme that all the Shanahan coaches love to run. It -hmm. takes time, takes chemistry. There's so many little nuances and it's not quite as easy to teach as something like a power scheme where it's a bit more straightforward. There's so much kind of creativity and, you know, I got this and you got that kind of uh, situation going on with zone. So very interesting. We'll see what happens and if that discipline gets a little better for them. Switching back quick to the defensive side of the ball, we talk about the addition of Jalen Ramsey. How much do you think this scheme changes with Vic Fangio now calling plays? Because this has been a team where it feels like they kind of hid their pass rushes almost because of all the cover zero you're running, where you're not really trying to get home. You're more just trying to force a quick throw or a mistake. And I feel like guys like Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb, you know, they couldn't really pin their ears back because really you're hoping that Javon Holland uses his speed and gets off the edge in a lot of those schemes. Vic Fangio, not a huge blitzing guy, has good packages, but it's a lot of like too high starting zone. He'll drop plenty. Like I think people misunderstand. He plays a lot of one high as well, but he likes those two deep shells. Do you think maybe he goes more the route where Xavier Howard, you know, he's a press man guy and that's where he thrives. Jalen Ramsey has been more of a zone heavy scheme when he was with the Rams. Do you think there's going to be a balance or do you think maybe zone on early downs and then in obvious pass situations, 
let these guys man up and do their thing. It'll be really interesting to see how that does shake out. I would say this for Xavier Howard. He played last year through two groin injuries, something on both sides. Effectively, the entire season, it happened week three against Cincinnati. But um, I thought he was better in zone playing eyes through to the quarterback last year at a really nice interception against Josh Allen on a, a deep pass downfield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the the – uh, was it the second Bills game? They got a third and 17 and the Dolphins went zero and Stefan Diggs just ran straight by Xavier Howard. So I'm mindful of Xavier Howard, what he's been versus as he matures as a player where there can be some changes. And I really think you're going to see a lot because you have ball hawks, right? You have yeah. Javon Holland's yeah. ball hawk. You have Xavier Howard's ball hawk, Jalen Ramsey's ball hawk. If all of those guys, you, you play all these match zone concepts that effectively at some point it's going to turn into man, right? Right. Because you have an area until somebody declares and then you're going to play that player. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key for Miami is they have the player in Javon Holland to be the multi-tool weapon on the back end that you can unlock with all the safety tools that they have. But then Xavier Howard with his ball skills being someone who has instincts to play in zone coverage, although he has been such a prominent man player. I thought the Dolphins really got burned a lot last year playing man coverage, and not just because of the depth, but you get to any third and long situation in the second half of the game or in a, a money down, and they would just revert to cover one and they'd rush five and they wouldn't get home, and, and somebody's mm-hmm. running across the middle of the field and you give up a big play, or uh, the Packers hit a shot down the field on a fade from the slot in that exact same situation. So uh, capping some of these routes, playing in front and coming downhill and utilizing your instincts with guys like Ramsey and Holland and Howard, I think gives you the highest ceiling. I I think it'll be really fascinating to see where those guys end up playing, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. You're going to let the pass rushers off the leash here. And I think it's going to provide uh, quite a big jump in the consistency of the sack production. Although Miami, after the trade deadline, when they, acquired Bradley Chubb their pressures went up about 17 percent and they were on a mid 50s sack pace after being on like a low 30s high 20s sack pace through the first seven weeks of the season so you kind of saw with Bradley Chubb his presence brought less attention for everybody else and then it kind of got there but because they played so much man coverage you're a half step away and the ball is out too often so I, I think that that's where all those pieces fit together for Vic Fangio and a, a system that's going to be very vanilla pre-snap and make you do all your work post-snap and be a tick behind on your processing. And when you mentioned Xavier Howard being better in zone, that does make sense. I'm sure Patriots fans will remember Mac Jones's rookie year, that two trap where Zow- Howard made it look yep. like he was about to turn his back and then picked it off. And if you were at home, you could see it coming a mile away. You're begging Mac not to throw it, but that does make a lot of sense. And you mentioned the amount of attention that Chubb got when he got there. What's that going to do for Jalen Phillips? Because he's a really fun guy to watch, kind of in that Uche mold where he's just so quick and so fast. He's someone you can move around. I know he had one sack where he just blew by a guard. So what's Chubb going to do for him? And do you think that's a relationship where maybe it's just depending on the game plan, are guys going to go more towards Phillips, Chubb? Like, how's that going to work out? Yeah, those two guys have really gravitated towards each other since Chubb uh, got to Miami. You you can really see Jalen. Jalen has really taken to him. And obviously with the familiarity with the system, uh, I think what, what you like about the presence of both guys is there is a level of interchangeability for 
whoever, when, when you go rip Liz and you're deciding who your fourth pass rusher is going to be, what side of the formation that's going to come from, oftentimes on early downs, that other linebacker is going to drop and he's going to take just a, a shallow, flat hook curl area um, to try to take away to the passing strength. And Phillips and Chubb both have the athleticism that's really rare for players of their stature and density and size to have that kind of mobility to just kind of drop out, occupy space, take away a hot window, force the quarterback to throw around your body and your frame. So I think the fact that you have two super-sized players there that are both athletically capable, not that you consistently want them playing backwards, Mm -hmm. but when you get up in these base looks and you are calling based on the formational strength who the fourth pass rusher is in addition to the three down, and the other guy's got to be able to drop out. It's not like you're going to get up to the line of scrimmage and you're going to say, well, 15's over here, so he's going to drop out, and two's going to rush every single time because they're skill-specific players. Yeah, And then sometimes you might get those drop eight coverages where you get both those guys actually dropping right. into coverage, completely throws guys off. That's where you get those interception opportunities or at least kind of force quarterbacks into bad situations because you don't expect two great pass rushers to not only drop into coverage but actually be competent. And one other guy I want to mention on this defense before we get to the younger guys, David Long. I was praying mm-hmm. the Pats were going to go after him because I think he's a really underrated, really athletic player at the second level. What do you think he's going to add to this Miami defense? Listen, you guys got Juwan Bentley. You got all the good linebackers you need, okay? I know they're different I'm players. I'm greedy. <laughs> <laughs> Very different players. But when you think about this Fangio defense, and being able to play in light box counts, having the linebackers that have the burst to get down into a gap, but then simultaneously can carry three vertically up the field or wall off against crossers coming across the middles and then have the reactive quickness to kind of flash in space if it's a a little snag route or a sit down over top of the ball. That is a skill set that Miami did not have because Jerome Baker has been stretched pretty thin the last few years, as far as all the things that he's been asked to do is uh, their, their primary do it all type player. But then Elandon Roberts was your other linebacker and Patriots fans are plenty familiar with, with Elandon Roberts. And, mm-hmm. and he's a really good between the tackle stumper and downhill player. Uh, but playing in space is not a strength. And it was an area where Miami was consistently getting tagged over the middle of the field by tight ends and backs in the passing game because they didn't have versatility with more than like they had very skill specific players at linebackers. So having mm-hmm. David Long, who uh, coming out of that West Virginia 3 3 stack that he played going all the way back to college, has been really predisposed to I got to get down in the gaps, I got to be able to attack and play forward, but I am an undersized player. I played in spread played spread offenses in the Big 12 during West Virginia's time. So you kind of saw it coming where when the light bulb came on for him the last two years, it was kind of an embodiment of all the things that you see as the trends of the league with aligning with with what some of he was exposed to at West Virginia. So I think he's a great story. Obviously, there's a health question there. He's missed stuff with uh, missed time with hamstring injuries. Uh, each of the last two seasons, it's, it's been about a month in each of the last two seasons that he's missed. So uh, that's something that Dolphins fans need to be mindful of. But just the versatility that he brings gives you a certain level of peace of mind that when you're going to play these light box counts, you're not playing with a hand tied behind your back because you either have a run plug or you have a guy who can't play the run at all. Now, moving on to these younger guys, 
Dolphins are like the opposite of the Patriots, where they did not have a ton of draft picks, where it felt like the Patriots have like 10% of all the draft picks available, but it felt like the Dolphins did get did get good value from those picks. So how do you feel about the youth movement that they have going on this year, especially with Cam Smith, who was one of my favorite players in the draft? Look, I, I think he's one of your X factors of the defense, right? Between yeah. him and second-year player Cater Kohu. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are legitimately rolling with eight, nine roster, NFL roster caliber corners and four or five of them, Ramsey, Howard, Kohu, Smith, and Needham, if Needham's healthy, are like reasonable starters as players. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing for Cam Smith unless he comes in and blows things out of the water early on because you're going to have to be up to speed in order to crack the the starting lineup and get playing time. Now, what I like about Cam Smith is across the last two seasons, you kind of saw him play outside corner, but then you also saw a lot of incidents of him on the hash and and in the nickel and in the slot. And with how smooth and fluid he is as a player, I think that nickel position in this Vic Fangio defense is is really going to be a defining role. And do you mm-hmm. want him there? Do you want Cater Kohu there? Can you get Jalen Ramsey there? Like you have all these options and Ramsey has played that star position like 500 snaps in each of the last two seasons. So yeah. somebody's got to give you the confidence to put him there. I think that's the ideal situation for the Dolphins, whether it is Cater Kohu or Cam Smith. I like the options that you have there and, and, and they have just this embarrassment of riches. I think it tips your hand a little bit. You're probably going to see some level of transition away from probably Xavier Howard with the salary cap hits that he has coming up over the next few mm-hmm. seasons yeah. um, to have that much youth and depth. But at the same time, um, uh, I think Cam Smith can really be an X factor for what he would allow you to do with the rest of these players in the secondary. How, what do you, how do you feel about the other young guys they got as well? Cause I could honestly talk about Cam Smith all day. I'm going to hold back for a little bit because yeah. I wonder like how that cornerback, like you said, how that cornerback rotation is going to work out with Ramsey being so versatile and some of his best years, I feel like did come at that star position. But before I go any deeper into that, how do you feel about the other guys in Miami drafted? So a chain's obviously a Mike McDaniel hand selected, (laughs) very unsurprising that that Mike McDaniel would have an appeal uh, for Devon a chain. I I think Mm -hmm. the Dalvin cook flirtations uh, probably are a bigger worry for your Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson fantasy players as compared to a chain, just because I think a chain already is going to be a little bit more of a schemed touch type player as compared to somebody you're just going to put in the backfield and give the ball to 16 times and ask him to tote the rock. He showed a case showcased against LSU last year when he, I think he had 41 carries. He's, He's like physically capable of doing it. And of course, because mm-hmm. of his track background, where his playing weight ultimately ends up settling is, is one of the big questions with him. But the home run hitting speed being there, uh, I think Mike McDaniel has a player like that and looks at a player like that and has a very specific kind of role and opportunities baked in mind for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he can potentially be the best pass catcher out of the backfield, out of this group of players. If they go out and get Dalvin Cook, I think that's maybe where you lose some of the upside in year one for Devon A. Chain. But I, looking at the Dolphins' salary cap situation, I would expect that a Dalvin Cook signing would probably be a one-year thing mm-hmm. anyway. So that, that's kind of how I look at Devon A. Chain. I'm really intrigued by Elijah Higgins, who is their sixth-round wide receiver convert to tight end. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they've now done this a couple of times. They they had Tanner Connor from Idaho State come in as a UDFA last year. He was a big time height weight speed guy, and uh, Higgins obviously is another height weight speed type guy. But that Stanford offense last year, the one thing that it did put in front of me that I thought was translatable to the NFL right away is they they ran a lot of perimeter screens and they put them at the point in bunch sets and asked them to block. Yeah. And you're watching Mike Gusecki try to do that last year. And it's just not there. It's not the kind of player he is right there. There's certain things you can ask him to do and he's going to excel at, and there's other things and anything that it doesn't involve running routes, catching the football, you're probably going to say, Hey, maybe next time we don't ask him to do that. We have somebody else do that instead. (laughs) Um, So I think Higgins has this unique blend where his center gravity is a little bit lower than Mike. He's 90% of the athlete that Mike is from an athletic profile standpoint. He's much more physical. He's more fluid laterally where I think Mike's a little bit more of a straight line guy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like, can, can you dress for game day? I'm not sure based on having Durham Smythe and Eric Saubert and Tyler Croft and, and Croft has experience in this system uh, being between the jets and the 49ers the last two years. But there's a really intriguing long-term play there with Elijah Higgins, where I'm really fascinated to see what that convert opportunity looks like. You mentioned Mike Gusecki. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask what your take was on that signing, because you mentioned that he is a guy who has some limitations, but at the same time, last season seemed like a down season just because of the system he was in and mm-hmm. it didn't fit what he did well. So in more of that Bill O'Brien system or specifically they're doing a lot more spread stuff. It's more of a blend of old school O'Brien as well as Steve Sarkeesian and what he was doing at Alabama. So where do you see Gasicki fitting in there? Obviously he's more of a big slot receiver, but what does that mean as someone who watched him for most of his career? Yeah. I think your challenge is going to be trying to get him through the contact window without contact because he's mm-hmm. just, kind of a tall angular player. Uh, I I think guys that are able to get into his body within the contact window and disrupt the timing of the route really had success. Miami went to him a couple of times down the stretch last year and big play opportunities. Uh, The last play of the bills playoff game with Skylar Thompson, Mm -hmm. the fourth down conversion that was a failed conversion against the 49ers. Uh, which was a one score game in the fourth quarter it was like five minutes left at that point. Uh, just if you get into his body early, you can really disrupt him and he can't really separate from you. Yeah. So how do you get him? What methods do you take where he is coming through the first five yards and really able to open his stride and either carry across the middle of the field behind the linebackers or get up the seam. And yeah. that's your money spots for Mike. And if you can do that, you're going to have, a really successful player. It's just for Miami last year, even beyond the blocking stuff, I thought it was the routes that he ran best were the routes that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle also just so happened to be the most prolific at was those deep crossing routes across the middle. Yeah. Who do you want running those routes? And it's not 88 when it could be 17 <laughs> or 10. That's, that's just that's not no fair. slight against Mike, right? right I mean, that, exactly. that's just the speed element. I mean, you're, you're talking three tenths of a difference with the speed there. So I thought that was the biggest blockade for Mike was he's a skill specific player, but the skills that he brought were in conflict with putting your best players in position to have the reps in which they're, they have the potential to be most effective. Patriots, there's plenty of room. So he'll have his chance to shine. And I'm going to use this to segue back to Cam Smith and the defense real quick, because the Dolphins are similar to the Patriots in that they are heavy on defensive backs. For the Pats, it's more safeties. Like, they're pretty much mm-hmm. five deep, can play those guys anywhere. Feels like that's the Dolphins, like you said, with their cornerbacks, although they do have two very good safeties in Javon Holland and Brandon Jones. 
do you see the potential for them to just say, hey, even if, you know, a team like the Patriots wants to come out in 12 personnel, we're just going to stick with traditional nickel where we're just going to put three corners out there because we got height, weight, speed where they can match up with these big uh, tight ends who are really more receivers or in maybe even, I don't know, this is something I was thinking, like just a fantasy kind of perspective, but if drop Javon, Javon Holland down. Maybe it's more of a linebacker kind of role where you're going with the dime, kind of putting the corners on the back end and getting your safeties involved more in the box. How do you think that whole uh, uh, defensive secondary is going to shake out with all the depth that they have at corner? So I think really the only guy, and if you play man coverage, you could you could put him inside, but I think Xavier Howard's probably going to live in a world where the vast, vast, vast majority of his snaps are going to be outside. Ramsey mm-hmm. can play in the slot. Kohu can play in the slot. Cam Smith can play in the slot. Nick Nino can play in the slot. Javon Holland can drop down and play. So it, it's that's the the Fangio thing, right? Is the vanilla mm-hmm. theory. You want to present the exact same pre-snap look and then rotate to all of your different looks mm-hmm. after the snap. So for the Dolphins being able to present all of these different pictures, but then having guys that are capable of traveling as well, or maybe I might you you might invert some coverages where the safeties drop down and, and one of your your nickel or one of your outside corners ends up rolling back and you, you when you're getting to real exotic type stuff just to really drastically change the picture and try and trap something coming across the middle. So um, I I think for Miami, Vic Fangio has an opportunity here. Even when you consider the tackling of these players, I I think Cam Smith uh, had some ups and downs last year at South Carolina as a tackler, but he was still a really physical player. I thought Kohu was awesome in the slot last year, really fearless player dropping down to try and fit the run, and then Ramsey too. So you you have these guys that, okay, what happens if you want to go matchup specific and you want to go corner heavy? And let's say you put those four corners out there with Javon Holland. Like, I think you can live in a world where is Jalen Ramsey or Cam Smith going to be the other safety on the field in some of those situations if Brandon Jones, who I think is is a good player, but his strength has been more as a pressure player and box player to this point, as compared to somebody who thrives on the roof of your defense. Mm-hmm. So you can go week to week, I think, and really go matchups, but they, they have guys that can man up, but also zone up and they have guys that can tackle. So that's the big thing with the safeties. And this defense is all of the tools that Fangio gives his safeties based on the pre-snap alignments and the coverages that we call to be able to poach routes coming across the middle and, and cut so we can present quarters, but I'm going to eye the back, the backside one, but also eye the front side three and be able to read and make a play on either side. That's perfect for Javon Holland, but the guy who's over the top is really just leveraging all the routes to the passing strength. So mm-hmm. can that be in some instances, Jalen Ramsey. I don't see why it couldn't be like, you really have this fascinating chemistry experiment where you could take all these dynamic pieces and and put them in different spots. So long as they master all of the calls that you're responsible for, which is why I referenced Ramsey, because of course he's played in the system the last few years. It's a good time to be following the AFC East. If you like good football, because these defenses, I mean, you got four, probably top 10 units. Like all of them are probably going to be fighting for that top five. It's, it's going to be interesting. So, and I'm going to close out with this. This is a team that's more than likely going to make the playoffs if health goes their way. There's just too much talent. What did they need to go right outside of maybe health to make sure that that does happen? Maybe steps they need to take that maybe hurt them last season. And what would have to happen for them to miss out on the playoffs? Uh, I, I think you would have to get blown up with injuries again, like you were last year, where we, yeah. we talked about some of the offensive line depth issues. 
uh, some of the cornerback issues. I think those two things really hurt you. And then you add in a quarterback injury on two separate instances. Uh, I think one thing the Dolphins need to do more of is being balanced and running the ball, but not just running the ball. I don't, I wouldn't mind seeing the yards per attempt for Tua Tungavaloa drop down a little bit, you know, see a little Mm -hmm. bit of a statistical regression and it was over nine yards uh, was the average air yards attempt for two across 400 attempts last year. And yet he was still getting the ball out in like 2.6 seconds on average. Right. So nine, that it was an unparalleled combination of depth down the field and quickness of the release because of the speed of 10 and 17 that the dolphins have. But if you're going to protect yourself, if you're going to set yourself up for longevity, taking some more checkdowns, working through those progressions to concede to the checkdown earlier, I think yeah. is the passing game dynamic that I wouldn't mind seeing. And that's where I think Devon A-Chain does have the potential to be really interesting as a pass catching option. If everybody's going to drop, right, and play 10 plus yards, and you're going to take the check down to A-Chain with 4-2 speed, he could probably make something happen. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's right. So I, I think that's it for Miami is be more balanced, be a little bit more committed to running the football. And I'm not saying don't throw the ball to Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill 300 times this season. Like, by all means, you should probably do that. That's a good idea. It's a recipe for success. <laughs> running the ball with a little bit more consistency, staying with it, and then from a passing game perspective, protect yourself, put yourself mm-hmm. in positions. And I think he's deep enough into this system and his NFL career where you can probably see a little bit of maturation there. And I would just end with this too on Tua Tungvaloa because I think it is relevant. Uh, he was forced into the starting lineup midseason his rookie year, took over for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Brian Flores went back to Ryan Fitzpatrick on more than one occasion to close that season. Tua, going back to Alabama, was in a quarterback battle with Jalen Hurts effectively the entire time he was there. Year two in Miami, he's dealing with the Deshaun Watson rumors the entirety of the offseason and the season. And then coming into this year, it's yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, Mm -hmm. but. I think there's a certain level of pressure to not make plays now that he's done it and he's kind of established as the incumbent quarterback and he's not looking over his shoulder. I think that's a psychological component with Tua that probably gets overlooked was the pressure to perform at a super high level and create big plays because he was always looking over his shoulder throughout the course of his first two seasons in Miami where it's okay to take your checkdowns and you've lived it for a full season. You see what these receivers are capable of. Don't be afraid of third and eight. Mm-hmm. So if all of that happens, I think that's that's where Miami can be best. And if it doesn't happen, then you're setting yourself to get up to, well, we're missing time at critical spots. And now we have to chase games a little bit more. And that's where we're not going to play complimentary football. And that would be, I think, how they miss the playoffs. Kyle? Predictably amazing insights, man. That was fantastic. I'm now going to give you the floor as we wrap up. Anything you'd like to plug, brother, feel free. Yeah, I'm on social media channels at at grinding the tape. If it's a social media channel, you could probably find me there at grinding the tape. Um, I do locked on dolphins. I do locked on NFL scouting, which is a podcast with Joe Marino dedicated to team building across the entirety of the league. It's the how and the why of the decisions that you're made and looking at each individual team and, and kind of where they're at in their effort to build for a championship program. And we have a lot of fun on that show as well. So uh, also occasionally do stuff for Bleacher Report with the Dolphins. Uh, you can go to the team stream app and make sure you follow the dolphins there as well. 
It's all over the place because he does truly grind that tape, ladies and gentlemen. Kyle, thank you so much for being on. Once again, appreciate you so much. Thank you all for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'll see you next time. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.